0: Um, Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. So we're going to do a a mini-series within a series. So obviously our overarching series has been in Ephesians. We've been here for quite some time now, um, and we're almost done, believe it or not. But this section of Scripture, these 11 verses, um, is, is... kind of kind of stands out in Ephesians as a whole. And there's so much overlap and intermingling between the different ideas, but it's hard to break it off into sections. It's easier to preach it as one series for all 11 verses that we make references to different portions. So that's where we're gonna be today. So although we'll, we'll be focusing in on a certain section, um, this is in context of all 11 of these verses. So if you would stand with me, let's read Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 33. Uh, Of course, standing in the honor of the one who gave us this word. It reads, Wives, be be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as a body this morning and worship to you. And uh, praise and adoration. And I just thank you for the spirit that you have given us that helps us to sing praises um, that are worthy of your holiness uh, through his work in us. And I pray that we would be ready for this text today um, as it is a challenging text. Um, it is something that um, really the church has taken for granted uh, recently in recent century. And I just pray that we will understand it as it was written, intended by the author through the inspiration of your spirit, and that we would apply it to our lives. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you would remove from me any hindrances or distractions, any nerves, um, and that you would speak clearly And the words that would be spoken would be on- honoring to you and edifying to the body. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So these 11 verses um, that we, we just read um, are so very full of many important things that are applicable to us today, uh, very important ideas of, of uh, what is arguably the, the, the most important relationship physically on this earth outside of our salvation. Um, and yet, these verses, um, 11, especially the ones that we'll be beginning with in the passage today, um, have been really, with, there, there's, no, there's no better term than massacred over the last 100 years. Um, in in our culture. There's really no better word. It's been torn apart, excused, dismissed, argued, uh, misinterpreted, um, and if nothing else, um, ignored at the very least. And so this text today um, is going to be in in over the next at least two weeks. Uh, I think the the three weeks will cover all 11 verses. Um, I want you to keep in mind that this, what we're talking about, is going to be referencing and kind of jumping around a little bit as we go through all 11 verses. Think of it like a Venn diagram. There's three main points of these 11 verses, but they're going to have some overlap, okay? The, the three main um, points of these 11 verses are going to be wives submitting to husbands, husbands, how to love your wives, and then Christ and his relationship with the church. And those three things overlap in certain instances. And so we're going to be thinking of it like that diagram that, that will have some overlapping points. But these points are paramount to the functioning of a healthy church body. They're paramount to the functioning of a healthy, uh, of a healthy family, um, and they're paramount to understanding how the body of Christ should act towards its head um, and understanding that relationship. Um, now, my introduction today is going to be a little bit longer than usual because I want to address some of the misinterpretations of this text, because sometimes it's— it's easier for us to understand what it does mean if we remove what it doesn't mean. And so we can address what it doesn't mean. And then we're going to look through the text together to see in context of what Paul is saying, how we are to act. So the first thing that I want to address, and there's there's a few different things as this has grown out over the last century. Feminism, rampant feminism has, has run wild in our culture over the last 100 years. Um, there, there's really no other way to say it. The, um, the, 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 Rise of extreme feminism has caused issues in the home. It's caused issues in, in, in culture. There's, there's just a wide array of issues that have caused problems in our culture. And in trying to address what Scripture says, because what, what happens is, and, and unfortunately it's become more and more evident in the last uh, several decades, is inevitably what becomes popular in culture bleeds into the American church. We've seen it consistently over the last century. Uh, whatever becomes popular bleeds in. Um, we're usually, the, the whole joke is Baptists are about seven years behind the street down the church, or the, the church down the street, excuse me. And so, um, the liberal church on the street. So what we have to understand is um, these things have, have worked their way into, um, into the church, and some of the, the things that have had to be dealt with is this particular passage where it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And there's some, some things that have to be addressed in this passage um, and, and removed and explained correctly. So the first interpretation, and it's an incorrect interpretation, but one of the first interpretations is that this is Paul's own chauvinistic view and is not truly what God would say. That's, that's one of the first excuses to say that submission by a wife in the household should take place. And so it's dismissed. Well, this is just Paul's own chauvinistic view. Well, if this is Paul's own chauvinistic view and not true scripture, we are then calling into question scripture itself. Because if we can just choose portions of scripture to say, that's just incorrect, that's just the wrong language— then we are calling into question all of Scripture. Where where do we draw the arbitrary line that says this is no longer the writer's opinion, but God's? And so we we obviously have to dismiss that one, right? That argument, that argument is dead on arrival. Another argument that's similar is Paul is simply repeating what the culture says in a very um, uh, patriarchal but extreme patriarchy of that culture at that time, Um, And he, he, Paul was just repeating that. It really doesn't stand for us today. It's it's culturally not relevant. Well, if if you take that view, then you have to dismantle the entire passage because Paul builds his argument for Christ being the head of the church off of our physical example that we see in marriage. So then you have to dismiss the entire text. And then we no longer are Christ's body. We are no longer married to the head of the church. We are no longer his bride. We can't do that because we'll lose the entire context. And then we lose all the other contexts that Paul is talking about this same thing in Titus, uh, in Galatians, in, um, (coughs) oh, my brain, Colossians, there we go, found it. And so when when we think through that particular argument, we have to dismiss that one. And the last one that is most prevalent, most prevalent is that God's command here can't truly mean wives be subject or submit to your own husbands because that means that woman is inferior in value to man. But that is not at all what Scripture teaches. And oftentimes what the, what the argument, do, um, the, the arguers use to, to back that up is Galatians 3.28, where it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so they rip Galatians 3:28, kicking and screaming out of context. It's just, it's screaming put me back the whole time. Because the context of Galatians 3 is about salvation and how salvation is not a respecter of persons. Christ saves Jew and Greek. Christ saves male and female. Christ saves master and slave. And because there is an authoritative hierarchy, because there is in Scripture a patriarchy, and please understand when I use the word patriarchy, I'm not using a liberal extreme word that simply means male headship. Matriarchy means female headship. Patriarchy, by definition, simply means male headship. And so the argument stands and from this perspective, and then, which is also incorrect, that submission of the wife automatically makes her inferior. It doesn't, in fact, make a female inferior. No more than being vice president makes the vice president humanly inferior or of less value than the president. It's just a different authoritative position. There is no intrinsic loss of value in submitting to a hierarchical framework. It's simply the position that God, as the creator of the universe, has positioned the marriage to be in. So we cannot take a passage kicking and screaming out of context to try to apply it here when it doesn't fit, not to mention throughout all of Christ's life and throughout uh, his life on earth and throughout Paul's writings, we see culturally speaking of that day an elevation of women's value compared to the culture of the day. So the argument, again, is dead on arrival. So those are three very common, very common arguments to try to dismantle God's view of marriage. And so now that we've gotten those out of the way, and there may be a couple of other things that we address as we go through, now that we've gotten those out of the way, let's look at the text together so we can see what it does mean. So again, removing three common barriers. So point number one, let's read the the three verses together that we're going to hone in on today. Verses 22, 23, and 24. It reads, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So today we're going to talk about the, the wife's relationship to the husband and the family unit, how God has set that up very clearly in his scripture here. Now, there are, there are some interpretations that um, would actually bring verse 21. I talked about this a little bit last week, but if you look at verse 21 and then into verse 22... In the original language, the last verse of the last paragraph, which ends in verse 21, and it says, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, is a completely different paragraph in the original language. There's a period in everything, which is very, very, it makes a point in Greek if they put a period, because it didn't have to. The way the the, the sentences are structured, you didn't necessarily have to have that. So it is a completely different. So Paul is giving us an umbrella at the end of last paragraph, introducing the topic of his next paragraph, which is what you do when you write a paper. Is it not? Or a letter. You, you give a hint at what you're going to talk about next. So verse 21, and being subject to one another in their fear of Christ is an umbrella for the household code that he is now going to go into. So now he's going to start with wives and husbands, then he's going to talk about children and parents, and then he's going to talk about slaves and masters, which is the household of the common house in that day. And so coming into here, we see first, the first thing that we want to do is look at verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. You may have uh, a translation that says, "Submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord." And the first thing we have to do is identify what does subjection or submission means. What does subjection or submission mean? Because in order for us to understand how wives are to act in a marriage, we have to understand what the words are saying. And based on the wording difference, if you look later on the chapter, and and also in the chapter 6, you'll see that it actually says, children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your master. But here it says, submit. It's a different idea. It's not the idea of blind, blatant obedience. It's the idea of submission respectfully to the decision of the one in authority. It's the idea of partnership. The idea that the husband seeks the wife's wisdom, seeks the wife's advice, they they make a decision together, but ultimately the responsibility for guiding the family, the responsibility ultimately for the decision making in the household falls on the shoulders of the husband. And the submission to that, the respectful submission to that is the wife's duty. So God has set up duties in the household that he created. Husbands, which we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, are to lead and love and respect and glorify. And there's understandably a larger weight on the head, on the leader, and wives are to submit respectfully to them. And so we understand that submission and and subjection, depending on the translation that you have, is not a blind obedience, but a willful, supporting agreement and following of the husband's leadership. And I say it very carefully to say that it's with a good attitude to the glory of God, because that's what the text is saying. As to the Lord, as to the glory of the Lord... And so we know that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the, unto the glory of the Lord and that to submit to your husband is obedience to Christ. And we'll talk more about that. But it's with that good attitude because does not Christ teach over and over that those who, who obey, it's a heart issue and the heart with which you follow him is dynamically as important as the actions that come forth. So the attitude that comes forth is vitally important. And also in Ephesians 5.33, at the end of what we've read already this morning, it says that wives must see to it that she respects her husband. So the idea that Paul is getting across here is not blind obedience, but a a respectful submission to the one who has been placed in authority over her. Again, this is not about inferiority. This is about hierarchy and authority. So let me give you this example to see if this helps wrap our mind around what I'm talking about here, lest I be misunderstood at all. What I'm talking about is the same idea as of the military. So if you have a sergeant and then you have the lieutenant, that's the rank, I Googled it to make sure. And you have the lieutenant who has more authority than the sergeant, but let's say this particular sergeant has been in the army for 10 years. He has all this experience. He's been on to multiple tours, but the lieutenant who just came out of the academy hasn't hardly had 10 months outside in a command and he's the one in authority. Does it make sense for the lieutenant to take advice from the seasoned veteran who has 10 years of experience and to seek his advice? Of course it does. Does the sergeant have less value than the lieutenant does? Of course not. But who is ultimately responsible to the one in authority above the lieutenant? The lieutenant is. It's not about an inferiority. It's about the hierarchy, the structure that has been put in place so that Everything functions correctly. You can't have two heads. It doesn't work. Two heads on the same body does not work. I heard Voddie Bakken preaching on this t- text one time, and he said, there's two things you do with something and you find that two head. Kill it or put it behind glass and charge people to see it. it. Something with two heads does not function. But when we think about it from the aspect of the sergeant doesn't have less value... He has experience and should be listened to, but the lieutenant has the final authority, and it has nothing to do with value. It has to do with where they are on the chain of command. And God has placed the home with a, a, an authoritarian uh, hierarchy. Excuse me, an authority and a hierarchy. And I think one of the biggest things for wives I want to encourage you in is that submission to your husband and following his leadership is following Christ's command. That's what it says. Wise, be subject to your own household, and uh, to your own husband, excuse me, as to the Lord. Now, this is not saying that the husband has the same authority as Christ or is equal to Christ, okay? Please understand that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is in order to properly function in your relationship with Christ as a wife, you must submit to your husband. You cannot be in a right relationship and following and obeying Christ if you are not submitting to your husband. Brian Chapel says this about this text. To the husband, God gives authority for biblical headship that is designed to lead a family in paths of sacrificial service to God. To the wife, God commits a willingness to honor and support the husband's leadership so that he can carry out these responsibilities. So the wife is to submit to the husband. And I, I'll be the first to admit, per scripture, the reason why is per scripture, this is going to be very difficult for a wife to do. Turn to Genesis three sixteen, and I'll show you why. If you would, please turn to Genesis chapter 16, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, excuse me. So where we are in the, in the opening of all of creation here is after the fall. Um, Eve has eaten of the fruit. Adam followed suit, did not protect his wife as the head. They sinned, and God has come down and called them to the carpet, so to speak, for their sin. And he is placing upon them the curse of sin. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, he's coming to the woman, Eve. And God says... I will greatly multiply your pain in conception. In pain, you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, I'm going to correct a couple misinterpretations here of people who like to try to dismiss this because Paul is absolutely, in Ephesians, referencing back to creation because in verse 31 of what we read, Paul references back to creation itself and says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, which is quoted at the creation of Eve. So Paul is referencing foundationally from creation, God has set this structure in place. And so here in Genesis 3.16, it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Some have said, trying to dismiss the idea of leadership here, that the desire piece there in that verse is a sexual desire. But it's not. For the word used there for desire is used again in chapter 4 of Genesis, so the very next chapter, when it speaks about sin will desire to rule over you. And it's the exact same word. It is not a sexual desire, it is a desire for authority. So in context, the curse of the woman is to desire to rule over her husband, but he will, in fact, rule over you, the idea of headship. And some would say that this is the old covenant, not the new covenant, that this curse was, was what was laid down then, and those who have been freed in Christ, who are indwelt by the Spirit, no longer have to worry about that particular curse. Ladies, do you still have pain in childbirth As a saved individual, therefore, the curse is still in effect. You you can't use that argument because if the curse was no longer in effect, all of the curse would no longer be in effect, right? And so this establishment of the curse makes it difficult. So this is not something that comes by nature. Wives are not naturally submissive to their husbands. And that's why Paul has to teach on it here because this goes against your nature. Husbands are not naturally leaders. Look at the very first human beings on the planet. Who did God come to whenever the, the, the fruit was eaten? Adam, who did not lead his household. Who did not lead his household. God held the husband responsible for that decision when I talk about it being unnatural, that means it takes Christ indwelling and working in the wife to be submissive to her husband, and it takes Christ indwelling the husband to teach him how to desire to lead his family in a way that honors God for this whole thing to work out. Because only in our, in our position in Christ, only against what we are naturally prone to do in our sin can a successful marriage be wrought. And this isn't about the rights of each each individual. Paul didn't write this so that the husband would be able to point to the wife and go, you have to submit to me. And he didn't write this so the wife could look to the husband and say, you're not leading the way I think you should lead. This is so that each individual in relation to Christ knows how they are to act towards those horizontally around them. It's about the responsibility of the person that is being spoken about, not so the opposite party can have something to throw in their face. So ultimately, what what comes down to is if you are not submitting and obeying God, or excuse me, submitting to your husband, you are not submitting and obeying God. Let me try that again. If you are not submitting to your husband, you are not submitting to and obeying God. It is the obedience to Christ that drives subjection and submission to the husband. And there are outcomes to this. There are good outcomes to this. There are also negative consequences. I want to address a couple of those. The first good outcome for a wife that submits to her husband's leadership is glory to Christ, which is the very existence of the believer. That's number one, glory to Christ. Number two, is that the husband will be convicted by your good conduct. Turn to 1st Peter chapter 3 if you would please. 1st Peter chapter 3. Peter's addressing here the household co- codes as well. And he says in 1st Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 1, In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, as they observe your pure conduct with fear. Wives can actually be used by God in proper submission to the husband to teach the husband, to convict the husband, and to bring him into right conduct himself by her own conduct. And there's two things we need to apply from this. Number one, husbands, do your job. Number one, husbands, do your job so that she doesn't have to be used by God to convict you. Number two, wives, there is no excuse outside of blatant request to sin that you have to not submit to your husband. That doesn't mean you get to point and go, hey, he's not, you know what, I missed family worship last week, so I have a day that I don't have to listen to him or he's not leading me in a way that I need to be led, that is not what the text says. Now, men, lead correctly. But the text specifically says, in the same way you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. So the assumption here is that they are being disobedient to the word, and yet wives are still to submit and to be in subjection to their husbands. And that God would glorify himself and bring the husband back into right relationship with him because his job is to lead, and we'll see how in the coming text, next coming weeks. But his job is to lead to bring glory to God, and the wife's job is to submit to his leadership to bring glory to God. And in unison, as one human, we then are working as believers, solidly looking to Christ to glorify him in all that we do. And that's the function of the family. And that's how it was done. That's how it was created in Genesis. This is where it should be. The third thing that this does also for wives, a good consequence of this, is that this is a prime example of submission exemplified for the children of your household so that they can see how they would then submit to authorities in their own life, namely Christ. Christ. So this is an example of submitting to the command of Christ in your own life so that they can see it lived out by those who are their parents. And there are some consequences of not submitting. Of course, number one, disobedience to Christ, as we see from the text. But also in Titus 2, verse 5, Titus, in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, speaking to young ladies, uh, if you if haven't had an opportunity to read chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 1 through, I think, 8 in Titus 2, um, it's speaking to ladies and, and how to practically live out the Christian life as a, as a woman. It says in verse 5, however, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. And so disobedience to Christ and not submitting to your husband does in fact slander the very word of God. And number three, Proverbs 14.1, I'm going to write this down. Another negative consequence is that it will cause your home to be torn down instead of built up. Proverbs 14, 1 says, the wise woman builds her house, but the woman of folly tears it down with her own hands. Not submitting to the leadership of the husband does in fact cause issues in the home. R.C. Sproul recaps some information on this particular verse um, in a way that I just, I couldn't muster myself. And so I'm going to read this this short paragraph to you because I think it really drives home What this first verse is saying. When the Bible says that the husband is to be the head of the home and that the wife is to be in submission to her husband, it does not give the man a license to tyranny. It does not mean that the man is never to consult with his wife or to lean upon her wisdom and take seriously her commands and her judgment. When Adam was created with dominion over the earth, Eve ruled over the earth with him as his helpmate, not as his servant. In a sense, God made Adam king over the creation and gave Eve to him as his queen, not as his slave girl. There is all the difference in the world between a queen and a slave girl. That is much more eloquent than I could have come up with. So that's what I want us to understand in this first verse. Wives are to be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, for this is how he created the family dynamic to work. And so the application has been interwoven throughout this point that we've talked about so far, but it boils down to the husband has been given the responsibility by God to lead and the, the wife has been given the responsibility by God to follow as queen, as queen. It's a fantastic relationship that we see established by our God. Verse number two, or point number two, excuse me, we'll be looking at verse 23, But point number two says, a head of the church and a head of the home. So if you have notes, it's a a head of the church and a head of the home. Verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 5 reads, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So let's first define headship. Headship is defined as conveying the sense of taking responsibility for which that for that which God commits to one's care. Headship conveys the sense of taking responsibility for that which God commits to one's care. And so we see that played out in in both the headship of Christ and the headship of the husband. And so this is implicitly authoritative in wording. And I want to make sure I'm, I'm being very clear on this God has created a patriarchy in the home. It simply means that man is the head of the household. I'm not adding on all the extra baggage or words of the liberals today or or the, the culture today. I'm simply using patriarchy by its base definition, which is male headship or males being head of the household. And this does not play out into everything else in culture. This says husbands submit to your wives. It doesn't say husbands submit to only male bosses. Okay, and then we are to do that from other passages of scripture, but please understand what I'm saying. This is specifically saying women submit to your husbands and be in subjection to your husbands. That is the male authority in the wife's life. And we understand what headship means because some have tried to define headship differently and to, to take with it the idea that it's 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 not what it means as far as authority. All the, the, the basic argument against this, these three verses is the removal of authority of the man, of the husband. That, that's, that, that's really where every argument against this passage boils down. But if we take this idea of head and remove the authority of it, we completely wreck Paul's own argument in this book in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, And he puts all things in subjection under his feet, speaking about Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if you remove the idea of authority from head here in Ephesians 5, you have to remove the idea of authority in Ephesians 1, and the church no longer has a head, no longer has a leader, there's no one in authority over it, and that is absolutely not what Paul's intention is. And if that's not sufficient enough argument, if you look back at Genesis chapter two and verse 18 and following, you see the creation of humans. You see the man being created first, being given the authority to name all the animals and then woman being created out of him, God using a rib to create her and then giving her to him and him naming her as well. There is absolute evidence of the headship of man at the creation. And Genesis chapter 3 would echo this. So we look here in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. So we've established that the husband is the head from both context and history, looking at the Bible as a whole. But then we get the beauty, we get to revel in the beauty of the second part of this verse, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Think back to when I gave you the definition of headship, that it conveys the sense of retaking responsibility for that which God commits to one's care and then you think about what Christ was given to do as his job as part of the Trinity and the the economy of the Trinity the outworking of what the Trinity does in salvation. He was given the task of taking the elect that the Father gave him, taking care of them, redeeming them that we're going to see later on in these 11 verses redeeming them by his own shed blood and giving them back to the Father in a better position than they were when the Father elected them. And so when we think about Paul using that comparison for the husband, that is a wildly large responsibility for the husband to have. Because if Christ, if Paul points to Christ as his headship of taking his responsibility and caring for them and taking responsibility for the care of his wife and the care of his family in like manner with Christ as the example, we are to do the same, men. In submission to Christ, we submit to Christ who is our authority. Do you see how the authority works? We are submitting to Christ as the authority, and then we are to take his example, and we are to care for the one upon which we have authority, namely our wife, in the like manner of what Christ did. Christ served, Christ led, Christ taught. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to preach next week's sermon right now. Because men, we have a responsibility. And so when we see what Christ has done for us as a church, because remember Ephesians is written to us as a church. And so we need to understand as his body that he is the head of our church because he saved us. He himself being the savior of the body. Our savior is our head who presents us back to the father in a beautiful redeemed glory. And he is our head. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that, who, is, that is who we get to submit to? Because the sacrifice that Christ made calls us as husbands to make the sacrifice for our wives. But there is an authority there that wives, by this passage, are called to submit and subject themselves to, contrary to their own nature. Do you see how Paul is making his argument here? And so our application here is without the sacrifice of Christ, the church would not exist. Without his headship, the church would wander. Without a head, the body does what? Anybody ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Anybody ever harvested chicken? Not trying to get too brutal, but I'm just saying. You ever seen one? And they just scamper around with no head, right? They just wander around. They flop. I've seen them flop over fences and all kinds of stuff. A body without a head does no one any good. And so when we think about the body with no head, if we did not have Christ in the church, we would wonder, but what does that tell us about the family unit? The family unit, which is... We have established per scripture as patriarchal in nature. The man is the head. And so when the man is not the head, what happens to the family? They wander. Do we see families wandering in our culture today? Do we see families wandering in our churches today? Because of one of two things, and usually it's a combination of both. The husband has set aside his responsibility to lead the family and or the wife refuses to submit. So this idea of headship, we should embrace as a church and understand that Christ sacrificed himself, the most beautiful sacrifice, the love that we see from that. And then we as husband and wife take that example of both headship and submission and apply that to our marriages. Point number three, and I promise I'm getting close here. Subject in everything. Point number three is subject in everything. Verse 24. It says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So as if verse 23 was not enough to convince the church that Christ is the head, And we know that the head is to be submitted to and to be followed. Now Paul points it very clearly and says, but as the church is subject to Christ. Church, we are to be subject to Christ. Live as light, not as darkness. Haven't we talked about that in the last two chapters? Chapters four and and up to chapter five. Over and over again, Paul says, you are no longer what you were. You've been redeemed by Christ. Submit to him. And then Paul then takes that application, that, that, that beautiful picture that we have of Christ in the church and says, also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. And so the verb there is implied in the second half of that sentence. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. In everything. Everything means Everything. And as we've talked about earlier in Ephesians, some, this is automatically within line of the will of God. So if, if your husband were to ask you, wife, to do something wildly outside of the will of God, that of course you would not follow, just as those in authority in the church ask you to do something wildly outside against the commands of God and you would not do. But what this does mean is you are to submit to the husband in everything. Even when you disagree. Even when you disagree. And there are going to be times, as almost 15 years of being together, 14 years of marriage, there will be times the husband and wife disagrees. Amen? Any married people in here? amen? Okay? But what Scripture says is that wives are to submit to the one that God has placed responsibility on for leading the family. Guess who, has, who he has to answer if he messes up? Who does he have to answer to? God. We as husbands have to answer to God when we mess up. And the implication here is that if wives are submitting to their husbands, they are doing what God has asked them to do regardless if the husband makes a bad decision. Do you follow? Who gets in trouble the lieutenant or the sergeant when there's a call made that was a bad battle call. The lieutenant, the sergeant doesn't get in trouble. That's not where the authority falls. The lieutenant is the one held responsible for the bad battle decision. The husband is held responsible. The wife is to submit joyfully in a good attitude to what the husband decides to do because that is what scripture has called her to do. Men are to lead, wives, husbands are to lead, wives are to follow and submit. That is clearly what Scripture teaches. And it's not just here. So lest you think Paul had this one crazy idea in these 11 verses to do all these things and teach about marriage, it's in 1 Corinthians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3, and other places too. In a narrative fashion, you can see the example. So the application here is that there's no way out of the idea of wives submitting to husbands. Paul says everything. And so there's two responsibilities. There's two applications that we have to have here. Husbands, you better make sure you know what you're doing. Now that's a big responsibility, but that's a responsibility we've been given. Seek the Lord's face. Be in the word. Be a step ahead of what everyone else says. Work hard. Lead your family. It's your responsibility. Wives, submit to your husband and everything. Again, there's there's as we said earlier as I said earlier, there is not a caveat listed here that says you submit to your husbands unless. There isn't. And as we learned from First Peter 3, wives submitting to your husbands is often how God will use you to sanctify your spouse and a true loving husband and wife relationship when it's powered and supported and foundationally on the gospel you put yourself in the back and you put your others in front of you right so what is the greatest commandment you guys have heard me talk about this several times throughout preaching ephesians the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's foundationally what we are to do as followers of Christ. Who is your closest neighbor? Married folks? Your spouse. That is your closest neighbor, which means you should be in the back seat and you should care more about sanctifying your spouse. Husbands should care more about leading her, leading the wife and sanctifying um, life and life that would sanctify her, and wives should be worried about sanctifying their husbands, which, according to 1 Peter 3 1, is by submitting, even when you don't like it. It's in everything, submitting in everything. So, I want us to understand that in this text, there are two ways that we look at submission here the church in submission to Christ as our Savior, as the one who has saved us, He is the head of our body. And in so, being the head of our body, and we as members of that body, husbands and wives as being members of that body, then have a role to play in submitting to him by living out and, 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 and following his command in our specific roles all day, every day. So we glorify Christ as a church in submission to him by husbands leading and wives submitting in the marriage relationship. Do you see how that builds out? And so that's, that's our focus. That's our application today that we must, as a church, live out. So as I conclude, Christ gave himself for the church, and the, man, the marriage of a man and woman is a shadow of that. Christ in the church is a substance. Man and woman is the shadow of that. And we'll be talking more about that over the next couple of weeks but it is a gracious gift of God that in the foundational relationship of all human existence, he gave us a picture of himself. The, the, the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and he he created that Christ in the church. He created that picture at the very foundation of time. Do you think God planned to redeem his people and to establish his church? Yes, he gave us that picture at the foundation of humanity. And so we have the the joy and the privilege of looking at that and looking at ourselves and going, okay, this is how this is supposed to work. So we have an example to follow because marriage is the single hardest relationship that you will have on this planet. God took two sinners and put them together in close quarters 24 hours a day. That is a recipe for disaster. But God... It is. It's it's a recipe for disaster. Two sinners cannot live that closely together in harmony without God's grace. You can't. And so we have to understand our responsibilities so that we are glorifying ultimately for the purpose of glorifying Christ in our marriage relationship. Because there's so much that builds off of that. Marriage is the foundation of the church, is the foundation of the country, is the foundation of the world family units have lost their importance. And this text tells us how to function as a God-honoring, God-glorifying marriage relationship. So let's let's do that. Let's do that to honor Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at the beautiful picture that you've given us in Christ's redemption of the church and His headship there and, and His bride that he rescued and and redeems and purifies and how we, as married individuals, uh, both husband and wives, should seek to implement that in our own lives. And I pray that you will give us the strength to do that, that your spirit would work in us as we go through this week to strengthen our homes so that we are not wandering, but that we are following your commands. In your holy name I pray, amen.